Joy seekers, joy givers, anyone looking for an infusion of joy, you have come to the right place. My name is Deb McGregor, and I'm your host for today. God asks us to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. God asks us to be a voice for the voiceless. But how do we do it? And where are the topics where we are really asked to step up for others? Friends, today we are talking about a topic that is very dear to my heart, and that topic is human trafficking. I cannot think of a better guest to have come on this show than Stacy Schaefer, the founder and executive director of the 318 Project. Stacy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm so glad you could make the trip to be here in person because yes. oftentimes when someone doesn't live in the region, we actually have to do phone interviews. Yes, it's so much better to be in person. Absolutely. And what a blessing to actually be meeting you face to face because you are making waves in the human trafficking world right now. Thank you. We, we definitely try. It takes a team effort, but I have a pretty good team to work with. So, Well, I thought it actually might be a good place to start to not just talk about how you actually got here, but what does it mean when we use the word human trafficking? Because I think people have one idea of what it is, and it's actually, I think, encompassing a much bigger scope than what we think about. Yes, for sure. I, I think when we hear that term human trafficking, it can be really confusing on what do we mean by that? And essentially what it is, is selling a person for a good or service. That's the basic definition, but it also entails both sex trafficking and labor trafficking, which we see both. It's just we tend to talk a lot more about sex trafficking than the labor trafficking side. But at the end of the day, it's essentially selling a person for a good or service. And how did you start getting involved in this conversation? Yes. So in 2006, I was in undergrad at the time. And one of our professors said, if you go to this guest speaker, you can get extra credit. And I was that student, loved extra credit, went to the guest speaker, and he was talking about human trafficking, modern day slavery. And I just felt this calling that I needed to do something, didn't know what exactly that looked like. So talked to my parents and I said, hey, I think I'm going to go volunteer for this organization if that's okay with you guys. And, and that's what I did. So my first couple of years of college, I worked with this organization and it led me over to Guatemala where I experienced my first case of human trafficking with a little girl named Anna who was trafficked at the age of eight from El Salvador to a brothel in Guatemala. Our team was able to intervene and rescue her and provide her with services. And a lot of people see her story as a story of tragedy, which it, it is, but at the same time, it was a story of success because she survived to share her story. So she is my inspiration and motivation for why I do what I do. Well, it's, I mean, my heart just like when you start talking about this, like, right, I just want to start crying right away because there is such an impact. And when you talk about a child that's eight years old, that didn't even have an opportunity to really be a child. Because yep. when you're forced into a situation like this, literally, you are, you've lost your childhood. You've lost everything that you thought, I think, growing up that you would even have in the first place. Absolutely. And regardless of your age, I mean, it doesn't make the situation better, but it's the fact of like, this is a young child who was repeatedly sexually abused over and over again. And she was able to persevere. And today she has a family and she's living a pretty normal life um, given the situation. So it's definitely inspiring to see where she's at. But 
I think that's what we have to remember with human trafficking is it has no limits. The, the youngest case I've ever worked on was a girl who was three, and I've had cases with people in their 50s. So it, it definitely touches all of us, um, regardless of age. Absolutely. And probably re- regardless of where you live. So you're talking about Guatemala, and you, you mentioned the El Salvador piece. But this happens in the United States, too. This is not unique to one country, one location, one anything. Absolutely. And in fact, rural communities tend to be a big target when it comes to because part of it is you don't have enough law enforcement on patrol to adequately patrol some of these areas. And traffickers tend to be able to make more money when they traffic and sell individuals for sex acts in some of these rural communities. So that's why you see it growing. So it doesn't always have to be a large city. It can also be a rural community. And one of the things that you talked about in your website is the internet, the social media, all of these ways. I think sometimes, like people in my generation, we think about the the old school, oh, somebody's on the corner and then there's nobody around and then somebody takes you. But that's actually probably not the norm. It's probably other methodologies. Yes, you're correct. There's that misconception that a lot of people are just being grabbed off the street when in reality, it's rare that we see that. In fact, 50% of people that are trafficked know their trafficker in some way. And right now there's a stat from Thorne um, that three out of four victims are trafficked using social media. So think about that for a second. You know, that social media is definitely a great avenue for traffickers to use to try to recruit their victims. The other surprising thing, though, is familial trafficking, where we've seen a large increase of family members being the trafficker as well. So it kind of debunks the thought of, oh, there's kids being grabbed off the street when it's that social media or familial connection. Yeah. So you had this experience in Guatemala. You obviously came back because at some point you decided, I need to educate people more. I need to take a more active role. And you actually founded the 318 Project. Talk to me about this. Yes. So after I got back, I, you know, I've been working in this field for a while. And in 2012, I, I had to step back for a little bit, probably about a year there, where it was kind of just becoming overwhelming. And probably didn't know how to do self-care properly, those types of things. So I um, was in Minnesota. I ended up moving back to North Dakota and we were kind of, it was during the height of the oil boom um, in our Bakken region. And I just realized, you know, we don't actually have a program that's specifically dealing with the education of this. So let's fill the gap. So in 2015, I launched 318 Project, which comes from Proverbs 318, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. I love this, of course. You know, I'm when when the scripture inspires someone, I'm all about it, right? Because I just love it when God reaches into our hearts and just really calls us out to do something. And you have been obedient and you've done that, which I appreciate so much. Mm-hmm. And I was also, of course, I'm going to say a little infatuated about this fascination that I had with the fact that you were actually Miss North Dakota. You went on to the international competition and this was your platform. Yes. Yep. And that was actually one of the main reasons I ran is because I knew if I was able to get that title, I could use the crown essentially as a microphone. And so that was a big goal for me. And that was my platform going into the international competition too of, you know, we need more people to talk about this and and realize that it's not just another country's problem. It's happening right here in the United States as well. Well, and one of the reasons that I wanted to call up is because we are all called to speak up. This is not just something that Stacy and her team get to work on, that a handful of people get to work on. It's all of us who need to speak up. And we will talk more about that. I want to get back to in this platform, 
and in this competition, first of all, congratulations, by the way, I think this is a really big deal in terms of what you had to do and the tenacity you had to have even in that competition, and then the tenacity to start this nonprofit organization that is helping so many people, like kudos. I just want to acknowledge you. you for that. Yeah. Because sometimes I think we get in that day-to-day stuff when we're just doing, doing, doing. Mm-hmm. It's nice to take a pause and just say, yeah, you know what, there is a lot going on here. Absolutely. And you know, when I really think of back to that time, there there was a lot of energy that went into that and a lot of passion. So it, it is a, a person should take more time to acknowledge it sometimes than what a what it's, a person does. So. It's so easy to just move on to the next thing, right? I don't know if you're like me, but it's like, okay, next, next, next. Absolutely. It's like, sometimes God just says it's okay to just take a breather for a minute and, and enjoy the beauty and enjoy what's around you. And so I just I just wanted to to take a moment to acknowledge that. So as you've been doing this work with Project 318, is this about speaking, education? Talk to me about some of the things that you're doing. Absolutely. It started as education. And then as our organization grew, we realized that there were some gaps in services, and one of them being with survivors specifically. So we have launched a survivor mentorship program where survivors either get referred to us or they might contact us, and we pair them with a mentor. And that mentor works with them to try to achieve at least at minimum three goals within a year. Sometimes it's been, I want to go to college, I want to get my GED, or To be honest, I have a problem going to the store by myself. Would you be willing to go grocery shopping with me? So those are some of the needs that we see. And then once they finish that one year, they get to join a support group. So we just found that, yes, you can go through rehabilitation and you can get all these different services, but what happens when those services end? So we fill that gap where we're going to be there, we're going to walk with you regardless of how long it takes. And I would envision that for some people, building up trust and feeling safe is a big deal, especially depending on the degree of trauma. Let's face it, it's all trauma, right? There's a trauma component, but really trying to feel safe and trust again, that's got to be one of the biggest pieces of this. Yes, for sure. They are definitely going to test you and stretch you a little bit because they want to know if they can trust you, which reasonably so. After they have gone through the type of trauma they've endured, it's reasonable to not trust somebody. So we really have to be conscious of how we develop those relationships. And we're, we're thoughtful and we know that it can take time. And so we don't expect instant gratification. Who are the type of people that are becoming mentors? Are these trained therapists, social workers, or just everyday people? A variety. So depending on the level of the needs of the person, it might be someone who's in the social work field, counseling, or for some of the other basic things, it's it's some of our individuals that are just part of the general public. We put them through a pretty rigorous training so that they're well-equipped on how to a survivor of human trafficking. Well, because I would envision if you are working with someone who's experienced trauma, we worry about vicarious trauma, right? Or we worry about things that that individual may also experience. But I love that you take them through a training process so that they too can be processing because I'm sure there's processing happening on multiple multiple levels. Absolutely. Yep. And I would never want to put someone in a in a in a place where they were not properly trained because this can be overwhelming and going back to, you know, self-care and those types of things like how do we set boundaries and how can we provide the best services possible for this individual? Absolutely. And no, I was curious about do these mentors come all over or are they only in the North Dakota area? So right now in North Dakota, but we are looking to expand throughout the Midwest. So as we're getting more and more calls from survivors that are 
outside of North Dakota, we're looking at expanding that team. Okay, excellent. Well, I know we have a lot more to talk about. We're going to take a brief pause, but when we come back, we want to talk about what does it look like for you to speak up? What are the signs we need to be looking for? And how can we actually help support the efforts that Stacy and her team are doing with Project 318? Friends, we've got a lot more to come. We're going to take a brief pause. We're talking with Stacy Schaefer, founder and executive director of the 318 Project. This is Deb McGregor. When it comes to planning for your future, you want an advisor who understands your Christian values. Ameriprise Financial Advisors Gina Ripkema, Shelley Loff, and Donna Gunderson offer financial planning based on biblical principles. They can help you plan for your goals in a way that is consistent with your faith. Call Gina Ripkema, Shelley Loff, and Donna Gunderson today. Office is located downtown Bemidji at 122 3rd Street Northwest or at 1202 1st Street East in Park Rapids. Ameriprise Financial offers financial services without regard to religious affiliation or cultural background. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Arise Financial Group, a division of Ameriprise Financial Services, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Realtors Noemi and Harry Aylesworth are happy to share they are now affiliated with Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate First Choice. Serving all of your real estate needs in Bemidji, Bagley, Black Duck, Cass Lake, and surrounding communities. They are dedicated to finding you the home you deserve. Whether you're selling or buying property, they will serve you with honesty and integrity. You can expect a better real estate experience. Life takes you many places. Let Team Aylesworth, Noemi and Harry of Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate First Choice take you home. This is Deb McGregor of Live Joy, Share Joy. We love to hear feedback on the show. Have you heard a guest who inspired you or drew you deeper into relationship with the Lord? Was there a topic that really resonated with you? Do you have a show idea around joy? We would love to hear from you. We want to build a community of joy. Please email Deb at lifefulofjoy.com and put feedback in the subject line. Nourishing Ways by Kelly Joe, personalized nutrition coaching designed to help women ditch dieting for good and cultivate confidence in themselves so they can nourish their bodies with the food they love without the stress and guilt. Hi, I'm Kelly Joe. I have over 20 years working as a registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor. Let me help you live the joy-filled life you crave. Contact me today on Facebook at Nourishing Ways, that's W-E-I-G-H-S, or call me today at 218-368-4911. This is Deb McGregor, Live Joy, Share Joy. We are speaking with Stacy Schaefer, the founder and executive director of the 318 Project. We are talking about human trafficking, a subject that for me needs to be talked about more and more and more. Stacy, as you and I were talking during the break, one of the things I said to you is, you know, if people weren't buying this, there wouldn't be a market for this. If people weren't trying to get low cost people making their products to sell them, there wouldn't be a market for this. How do we address that piece of this conversation? Absolutely. In order for human trafficking to exist, you need three different people to be involved. You have your trafficker, you have the victim, and then in sex trafficking, you have the buyer. And then sometimes I argue the fourth component is community, because what is our role as community to combat this? So if you didn't have the buyers, you essentially wouldn't have human trafficking. So some of the things that we've been trying to really enforce in communities is for more male-related groups to have a safe place to talk about some issues that they're going through. Like for instance, pornography is a big one right now. Or we're so used to lock 
locker room talk that we think this is how we're supposed to treat other people or the macho mentality that if I don't act a certain way, people are going to see me as weak. So how do we have conversations around the male culture too of, of overcoming some of those things? So we've seen different support groups popping up in male communities. So that's one way. But then the other thing we have is things called like the demand reduction program, which is something we run in North Dakota. And it's a diversion program for people who solicit others for sex acts over the age of 18. And when they get sentenced to that class, it's an eight to 10 hour day where we address this topic of human trafficking. Because the other component is a lot of people think this is a business transaction. They don't realize that the person they're purchasing most likely is being controlled by a trafficker or a pimp. Yeah, absolutely. Just as you're saying this, it's like all these things are rolling through my mind. And you've just been talking about the man piece of things. I'm assuming that there are also women who purchase this type of thing? Yes. Yep. We don't see the the same amount of numbers coming in as the male side, but in the past couple of years, there has been an increase of women utilizing pornography as well. So the, the reason why that's important is 80% of the survivors we work with say a buyer will bring in either a photo or a video of the sexual act that they would like done to them. So we know that pornography plays a role in this. So if you see an increase of a certain population utilizing that, it is likely you're going to see an increase of them purchasing someone for a sex act as well. So with 31H, are you working with organizations who are also trying to address the issue of pornography? Yes. Yep. We are definitely trying to expand that area a little bit more. Fight the New Drug is a great organization out there that's addressing this, but it's also one of those topics that people don't necessarily love talking about either. It can make us feel uncomfortable, but with that, we have to address it. The average age of first exposure for males right now to pornography is between six and eight. So knowing that, we have to start the conversation sooner. So books like Good Pictures, Bad Pictures is a great thing to implement um, with your child at a younger age. How do parents have the conversations with their kids? I'm sure that you get asked this a lot of times because like my parents, my kids are a little bit older now. But even in just this short time, things have really changed a lot. Yes, it's interesting you bring this up. So we recently launched two different videos where it's kids talking to parents on how to talk to them about human trafficking because parents can feel uncomfortable. But some of the things that we tell parents is, is you need to be transparent with your kids. You need to... Um, build a good relationship with them, let them know that regardless of what's going on in their life, that you're a safe person for them to come and talk to. Set boundaries around social media. Some of the cases we've had is where, um, like I used the example where this one girl, she was in high school, she was being she was recruited by someone using social media from another state who was using, like had her to the point where she would keep her computer up so he could watch her sleep at night. So in that situation, her parents are in the house, have no idea that this guy controlled her for four years. Even though he didn't live in the same state, he was controlling her from another state, utilizing social media. So think about our electronics. How can we implement better practices? How to use social media in a safe, proper way? Understand those things because kids know how to use social media. So if you don't understand it yourself, they're going to be ahead of you. And you want to make sure you're on the same playing field when it comes to that. 
And that is so difficult because I find myself asking my kids, how do I make a playlist? How do I do these things, right? And this is, I do think this is one of the hardest challenges is to be able to keep up is difficult. And yet what I hear you saying is we need to keep up. This is about being a responsible parent or limiting access to what they're probably seeing in the first place. Yes. And also maybe your house is the house where the friends come over to versus having your child go somewhere else. Unfortunately, we had a case where there was parents that were separated and the dad, the weekends he had, the daughter, he decided to sell her to his friends for sex acts to see how much money he could make, was able to profit quite a bit and started selling her online. So in those situations, it's like you you got to make sure you're protecting your child as well. So maybe instead of having your child go to a sleepover, your house is where that sleepover takes place. We used to call that the Kool-Aid house, the house where everyone wanted to go. And that's I always wanted to be the Kool-Aid house because yeah. I knew the kids were safe if they were at our house, right? Absolutely. It's, it's so important. And when you were giving the example of the young lady who for four years was getting controlled, this just doesn't happen overnight. These individuals, they are smart. They know exactly what they are doing. Absolutely. So when we work with schools a lot, I often tell kids, if I post online, you know, my life sucks, my parents don't get me, I have no friends. I'm essentially making myself a target because if I'm a trafficker, I'm looking for people's vulnerabilities and you just announce your vulnerabilities online. So I'm going to utilize that and tell you, you don't need those people. You need me and I'll be there for you. And that's how quickly these things can happen. Wow. It's it's almost scary in a way. And yet at the same time, we have people just like you and your team and volunteers who are out there who are working so hard to really make a difference. I want to talk about communities because you said we have a, as a community, we have a responsibility. What are some of the things communities can be doing? For sure. Um, A third of the cases of human trafficking reported are by the general public. So it is important that regardless of who you are and where you live, that you become educated about this topic. Say you're part of a book club. Maybe your next book is on human trafficking. Maybe um, at your house of worship or some other community event, you showcase a human trafficking documentary, or you have a panel of speakers that can tell you more about this topic and what it looks like in your town. Learn some of the general indicators. Some things such as um, if someone doesn't look you in the eyes, like in some cultures, it can be a sign of disrespect, but it can also be a sign of controlling someone. Does somebody have bruises in various various stages of uh, healing? Do they have their passport documents or IDs? All of those things can be red flags. If you ever suspect something in your gut where something just seems off, we ask you not to intervene in that situation. Like let's say you're at the gas station and you notice something strange. Instead, write down everything you see. Do they have a birthmark, a tattoo? What car do they get into? What's the license plate number? And then report that. If it's an emergency, 911, otherwise local law enforcement, or almost every state has a tip line. And if you don't have a tip line, there's also the National Human Trafficking Hotline as well. So just some tangible things you can do. Those are great tips for people because I'm sure sometimes what happens is like you're out there and you're like, what can I do about this? What? How can my voice help become a voice for someone else, right? Yes. 
And something you brought up, Deb, earlier I forgot to mention is also be a conscious consumer too. Because a lot of times the clothes we wear, the food we eat is tainted with slavery in some way. And I and I know you're not going to be able to be slave free 100%, but just be more conscious of where I'm buying my products and where they're coming from. Well, and this is why one of the reasons when you start to see things like fair trade, like you start to see things that you know a a wage that is appropriate for the country because obviously the wages in the United States are not going to be the same as a wage in another country. I, I spent a lot of time in Kenya. But we also know that there is an appropriate wage. And so many times it's not even near that bar. Yes. Yep. And that is so hard. I think that's one of the things. I remember on one of my trips to Kenya, I was looking at the prices and I just said, you're not charging me enough. I know what this is worth and, and obviously paid more money for it because I know what it's worth. I also know what things cost in the country. So it's adjusted in a proportion, right? Yep. But I think there's this thing about like, why do we take advantage of other people? Because really at, at the core level, that can happen in so many different ways. Yes, for sure. So many different ways. Yep. One of the things that I think for me, why it's, this topic is so difficult is because we are all created in God's image and God values each and every one of us. And this for me, I mean, it can destroy someone's soul, their heart, so many things about them. And I just think God wants to restore and heal us, right? That's why I just applaud the efforts that you're doing. Absolutely. And that's what we want people to be re reminded of too, is like to have that faith and to know that you're not alone on this journey, that there are people there to support you and, and to have faith. I think that faith piece is just so instrumental in this. Absolutely. How would people get in touch with you if they want to have you come and speak or to support your efforts or maybe even become a mentor? Absolutely. So you can visit our website at 318project.org. Um, on our website, I would encourage people to sign up for our newsletter. We send that out once a month and it talks about the different opportunities available as well as some articles about human trafficking because education is important. And then also feel free to follow us on our social media pages, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. Wow. There's so many. I mean, they don't have a reason to not be getting in touch with you. Stacy, do you have any final thoughts that you want to share with the audience? I just want to I, I realize the topic of human trafficking can be really heavy. And sometimes it's like, where do we even begin with dealing with this? But I just want people to know is just by being engaged, learning more about this topic is you are doing something. You are helping us to be a voice. So no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. So just by learning a little bit more about this topic, you truly are doing something. Yeah. Amen. I believe it. Stacy. thanks so much for coming in today. Yes. Thanks so much for having this me. Like you are a blessing. You are a blessing. The work you're doing is blessing others. Thank you so much. And you are giving voices to the voiceless. Thank you so much. Thank you. Friends, we want to thank you for listening today. We want to thank Stacy Schaefer, founder and executive director of the 318 Project for coming in today. We want to remind you to speak up. We also want to remind you to live, share, and lead with joy. This is Deb McGregor thanking Philip Elke for engineering today's program and reminding you to have an incredible day filled with joy.
is Deb McGregor of Lifeful of Joy. Thank you for tuning in to Live Joy, Share Joy. We currently have availability for corporate sponsors on the show. Do you want to be aligned with all things joy and reach our listening audience? We have several options available, including our joy boosters. Contact your QFM today for sponsorship details.